Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Now, many small businesses have struggled to stay afloat this year, but my guest today is proof that a great product the ability to adapt and evolve, and a strong community around you can really make a business thrive, even in these challenging times. Ed West is the owner of a business called Poho Flowers, a Sydney florist that offers a premium retail experience, as well as an online store. They also cater for contemporary floral arrangements for events, corporate markets like weddings, offices, and of course, hotels. In March this year, when all event and corporate work evaporated, the retail side of the business took a steep dive. So Ed focused on creating a strong online presence and refining the product offering. He was looking for a way to reach new customers and learning how to brighten up their lives, their homes, their friends, their colleagues, and just generally working out and learning what do flowers bring to our lives. I'm going to ask Ed about how this business has leveraged the visual impact of social media to create brand recognition and why community support for the business, and by the way, that's an important one, community support for your business, has boomed with individuals and businesses alike looking for new ways to work together and support each other. This is a good one. This is a great example of how to survive something like COVID, which no doubt these sorts of things will confront us again in the future. So let's get into it. Ed West, welcome to The Mentor. Thanks for having me. You look to a young donor flower shop. That'd be the um, the clean shave this morning. Yeah? yeah, yeah. But you look really young. How old are you? <laughs> uh, Thirty three. Oh, you're, but you're a young fella. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, how how long have you have you owned Poho? Uh for five years now. P O H O. I'm yep. dying to know what Poho stands for. It's a play on Potts Point, Soho, bit of a kind of that New York vibe. We're in a beautiful um, Art Deco building in um, Potts Point. I know the flower shop. It's a very good flower shop. It's one of the better known sort of high-end flower shops around, at least in the east suburbs, you sort of got pretty cool flowers and good stuff. It's hard to make money out of being a florist, um, but some seem to do very, very well. Yeah. Yeah, I know I know the place. I've, I've, I, bought, I have bought flowers from there in the past. And have you owned that for five years now? Yes. Yeah, so I bought it uh, five years ago. Five so years the business ago. has actually been around for sort of closer to 15 years. Right. Oh, okay. Um, so I I'm, didn't the, know I'm the third generation. You're the third owner or yeah. th- third generation? Third, third, third owner. Right. Okay. Yeah. I was going to, I thought you were going to tell me there was no, your no, parents no. and like <laughs> set it up. And so, Ed, you're from where? I mean, like, tell me, take me back to where um, you're from. Grew up in um, the east of Sydney, hospitality background. You're an east suburbs boy. I am. Yep. I am. Went to school with your boys, actually. Did you? I did. Which one? Um, Alex? They're both a bit younger than me, but um, Alex, Alex and Nick. And Nick yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You're a Cranbrook boy? I am. Yeah, okay. So you know Alex and you know Nick. Okay, yeah. cool. And uh, why did you end up getting into this business? So about seven years ago, I um, I was working. I, have my, I still do have another business, which was is a freelance concierge um, service. What is that? Um, basically tailored help for cash-rich, time-poor individuals. What's it called? Uh, the concierge. The Sydney. concierge. Yeah, that's a that's a that's an important service. People do need someone to run around for yeah. them. Not so much now during the COVID period because we've got time ourselves and we'd probably do our running around. But that, during a period where time poor cash rich people, they needed someone to do a run around. Yeah. And why do you think of that business? Uh, my hospitality background. I guess I kind of I was always that go to person in the family and amongst friends that everyone would come to and ask for advice or help with where to source things, where to get things. Um, I kind of always had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit from a young age. Yeah. So actually my first business was when I was um, 13. I used to wash cars on the weekend. That's unusual for Granbrook. Yeah. All my um, friends were out doing what, you know, teenagers do. I was washing cars and then on on my school days, I was up in the sick bay um, trading shares during my off periods. Are you, you're a, um, you're a boarder? Uh, No, no, no. No. So I, um. I, it was pre-mobile phones, so I used to go up there in my lunch break or off periods and call my broker on the on the sister's landline. Um, and then, yeah, I 
probably, yeah, seven years ago, was kind of looking for something else to get my teeth into. Um, I didn't really want to scale the concierge business. I kind of liked it as it was. And as a customer at Poho, actually met one of the staff members that um, sort of worked there at the time, became friendly. We then went out and set up our own business. Flowers. Flowers. And ran that together for two years, bought Poho, and then we went um, went our separate ways. But yeah, I, I got into the industry knowing absolutely nothing about flowers, about floristry, other than kind of the minimal interaction I'd had as a customer. Well, that's pretty unusual even being a customer in your 20s, um, buying yeah. flowers. I mean, it was mostly for, I mean, mostly through concierge. So I was planning right, yeah, events, yeah, yeah. events for clients, gifting, that sort of thing. So I'm always fascinated with people because I, I knew this guy who went to Cronenberg many, many, many years ago um, who sort of became, oh, for one particular family, um, extraordinarily wealthy family, um, he became the guy who organised everything for him, boats, planes, cars, helped them redecorate their homes because, you know, these people just basically handed everything over to everybody to do it, to do things and they just, their currency was their money. His currency was I can do anything. Um, you know, it was style, a real stylish sort of dude. You yeah. know, he knew what the great, the latest style was and, uh, you know, know what Amani was doing for Kasra Amani and all that sort of stuff. And one of the things he did at school was he read every new boat book there was, read all the boat books, and he had all the fashion books and knew all the fashion. When everyone else at school was fond on the footy, et cetera. Yeah. Were you like that at school? Yeah, I think I definitely, my my dad and my grandfather both were self-employed, ran their own businesses. And I think it's something I, maybe my parents from sort of a very young age, if we wanted something, we one way or another had to work for it. So I think I learned that kind of appreciation of, building something, growing something. But yeah, it was always very inquisitive reading. I was particularly interested in kind of the stock market and things like that. So I think I, from a young age, was very much like a, I was a sponge when it came to information and wanting to kind of do my own thing and work out what my niche was. What your thing's going to be. Exactly. And I thought that was going to be, I very much thought I was going to end up as a the GM of a big five-star, you know, chain somewhere pictured myself probably living in Europe or doing something like that, but then worked in a, a hotel with 500 other people and quickly realised that working at, A, for someone else, but B, with in a, in a company of that scale was probably not for me. You're talking about accommodation hotel? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, still something that I'm really interested in, but, yeah, that kind of scale was something I, I realised pretty quickly wasn't so kind of satisfying. Because most people always think, how do I get scale? Um, yep. scale's not your thing. You, you, I mean, you don't really, you rather have niche and or specialty service. Yeah, I think, look, I think for me, and definitely I've, the last probably two years has been really big for Poho in terms of scale and is definitely something I've really chased. But I think my big thing has always been being able to do that with integrity. I'm very much hands-on and, yeah, whatever I do, I want to do with integrity and kind of a real focus on making a unique product and unique service offering and, yeah, finding an interesting kind of way to do that. Is that representative of your age group? Let's call it um, ethics around the scale that you want to achieve. Or eth- and I don't mean ethics in a moral sense, it's just your ethic, whatever your ethic might be, integrity might be the, might be the ethic. Yeah. Is that representative of your generation? I think somewhat. I think it's probably definitely something that for me has become more important, like I'd say the last sort of three to five years and something I've focused on more and more, but also kind of understanding that in terms of, you know, your bottom line, that often the correlation between that and your ethics, your integrity, the way you run your business are very closely correlated as opposed to just kind of pushing and driving for the sake of growth or for the sake of revenue. And I think in terms of building a business that has longevity, it's definitely something I've seen a correlation with. And I know other mates of mine that have, have their own businesses and are doing their own thing. It's kind of about in a very crowded market in terms of, you know, the local international market and whatever you do, there's so many competitors, everything's so readily available that you really kind of need to create that, um, that voice that stands out. And, and in floristry, this is kind of now more important than ever. I think social media has kind of blown the industry up. I think like in terms of nationally, Sydney's definitely the biggest market for flowers and floristry. We've 
um, got the largest mar- um, fresh flower market in the country. You mean in terms of uh, supply or, or in terms or, of supply, supply and demand. Right. And I think you know, anyone with a, a phone and some skills can create an Instagram account, create a following and build a business off the back of that. And I think that's what a lot of our sort of, um, a lot of the people in our industry have done. Um, it's been interesting in the last you know, nine months with COVID to see how those sort of businesses who haven't had that kind of longevity, maybe that kind of integrity in terms of how they've built their business and the foundations on which they built their business have fared versus kind of the classic bricks and mortar diversified businesses have kind of survived and flourished. Yeah, it's quite an interesting concept, um, differentiating yourself in a crowded market an Instagram market I'm talking about now, a crowded digital market, um, differentiating yourself through an ethic yeah. or, or, or saying, look, we stand for something else as opposed to just selling your flowers. Yeah. How did you work that out? Like, I mean, or is that just, or is that just Ed himself? Is that, is that you expressing yourself <laughs> within, within your business or were you responding to what the market wanted? I think a little bit of both. I think I've, relationships for me, whether they're personal relationships or business relationships have kind of been always key to what I do. And I've always tried to surround myself with the right people to, you know, navigate my, my personal life, but also business and kind of in terms of seeking advice, um, whether it be, you know, good suppliers, um, our growers, it's to me, it's very much a relationship game. And I think from that, um, and similarly internally with our staff, you know, I, from day dot when I bought Poho, we had five staff and I quickly realized, you know, that we had a, a really good talented team, which we've grown, but also wanting to create an environment that is conducive to that, that attracts the best people so that, you know, ultimately, you, you know, my goal was I want people to be knocking on our door saying, we want to work for you versus us kind of chasing the talent. And yeah, I think building, building the business on that kind of foundation is where I've really seen and responded to and then over time kind of tapped into that side of things and in terms of how we grow it and the integrity and stuff that we bring That's to that. That's pretty mature for a 33-year-old. Um, I wouldn't have thought of that at 33. Um, it sort of has a lot of um, verticality to it, like in terms of depth. Where does that, where does that come from? Like is that um, Ed having done some research or is that Ed, you know, having sat out on a rock somewhere in um, – Tibet and uh, <laughs> gaze at his navel. I mean, where, where the hell does that come from? Like, uh, um, I think a little bit of it is kind of an internal drive and, and and motivation. I think it's I've kind of taught myself a lot. I think they've I've had you know family, friends, and and other people in business that have kind of been mentors and steered me a little bit in that direction. Well, they've said that to you. Look, Ed, you've got to differentiate yourself, or Ed, you've got to have a you or you or, or have they said to you, look, Ed, stand for something. I mean, what, what? um. So some have sort of said stand for something, but I think it's from, for me in floristry, one of the big things, and I think one of the things why I kind of wanted to do it differently or do it my way was I think coming in on day one, I felt like a bit of an imposter here. I was as an owner of a, a business. You couldn't even put a bunch of flowers together. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I was like, how do I take my experience and what I've learned and apply that to the floristry industry and show that you don't need to have that kind of classical training or you don't need to have that knowledge to kind of build something in a particular. Um, but yeah, I look, I would say most of it is my internal workings and the way, just the way I'm wired and the way I was brought up to kind of, you know, strive for excellence, do it with a sense of purpose. Yep. When I started the first business uh, with my business partner at the time, I approached my parents for the money to do so. And they both sort of said, what do you know about forestry? And I said, well, I don't know anything. And um, I said, but I know a bit about business. And I know what I want to do. And um, they said, no. They said, we're not giving you the money. So I was lucky enough to own my own place at the time, which I'd worked hard for. So I sold my apartment, moved home, invested everything I had in it. Um, and I think that was the other thing that really drove me was that sense of, you know, at the time was 20, 25. And I, you know, built quite a nice little nest egg for myself, but I thought I'm putting everything I've got in the, into this. Got to make it work. I've got to make it work because I can't, I don't want to fail. I can't fail. And um, I think there was also part of me that wanted to prove to myself, but to the people that had said, this is mad. Why are you buying 
a retail business, um, that, you know, I could do it and yeah. That's, that's, that's sort of a very interesting, um, like uh, from my point of view, particularly for at that time, a 25 year old, obviously you in your DNA is, um, entrepreneurship. I mean, you're a natural entrepreneur and by the way, you're not coming across as one because a lot of the entrepreneurs are, you're, you're more sitting back a bit more purposeful than most entrepreneurs. They're usually in your face yeah. all over the shop. They'd be sort of, they'd be all over the table by now. Um, and, uh, they just completely spill it out in the first minute, but, uh, you're a lot more reserved, a lot more purposeful. Um, but it sounds to me like, you know, exactly right now, at least who you are yeah. and what you do. Luckily for you, your personality suits the current environment where ethics, I think is becoming a big issue for a big part of the market. Let me ask you this question um, in terms of when you bought Poho, had you done the um, research as to know what Poho's market was, um, who they were, what their characteristics were? Yeah, look, if I'm being honest, there wasn't a business plan. There wasn't kind they of- They didn't have one for you to buy in or you didn't go they, there with one? There was a set of numbers and we were basically buying a set of numbers. And a shop. And a shop. And a name. Yeah. So we bought- And a client base. And yeah. a client base, yeah. yeah. But really what we were going off was the, you know, a, a balance sheet, a P&L. Um, so what did you buy? Bought the um, bought the business name, obviously, that took over the physical premises, so we had that goodwill. But basically what we were buying was goodwill. Yep. And, yeah, I think un I understood who Poho's customer was but also who I wanted to make Poho's customer and kind of the direction I wanted well, to take. Well, who was Poho's customer? Well, I mean, Potts Point is weirdly it's the the most densely populated area in the country. Is that right? Yeah, and you mean more people live there per square meter or than anywhere else? In, yeah, in Australia, that's yeah. mad. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, and it's a very very diverse market. So I think when when Quite I affluent. yeah very affluent, but huge because you've got everything from studio apartments, backpacker hostels, wayside chapel, right up to penthouse apartments. You know. Um, brand new luxury buildings, high-end restaurants, et cetera. So it's kind of, it's a very diverse um, spread. And and to be honest, all of those people um, were and are our customer. I think when I bought Poho, it was very area-centric. You know, our social media following was quite minimal. Our online presence was very minimal. Our corporate customer was very much kind of in the Potts Point, Eastern Suburbs, CBD area. And I saw an opportunity that the foundation was there. It wasn't, there wasn't kind of a great push. I think a lot of, a lot of florists in the industry are very much their owner operators. So mm. they're, they go to market, they're in the shop and, you know, they're up at three, four o'clock in the morning. Doing, and the, Doing the deliveries in the afternoon, they're invoicing. Exactly. Um, and, and I did all of that from day one and then, but quickly realized this, this isn't sustainable if I want to yeah. grow this, have over time brought in the right people to help. But I think, very much identified that we could kind of grow Poho's um, customer kind of right across Sydney, appeal to a much larger and more diverse audience. I mean, our 85% of our retail and online customers are women. And then our age range is really anywhere from kind of mid to late 20s right up to people in their 60s, yeah. 70s. So it's, yeah, it's a very diverse. But that, that, that's, so I'm oh, actually curious about this. Um, you go in there, Ed, you know, you bought the business, as you say, you bought the location for this five years ago, whereas where location was probably more important than it, than it is today. Yeah. Uh, but you bought something that was known because of its location. You bought something that had a fairly good reputation in that local area, Poho, the name Poho. I mean, they sold good quality flowers and uh, I guess you looked after people on all the events, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, you know, Christmas, blah, 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 birthdays, weddings and that sort of stuff. You probably had a, they probably had a small client base, but what I find it curious or a bit fascinating to be frank with you is that you bought into this business with no plan. They had no plan. You probably had no plan. And, but what you did is day one is you actually immerse yourself in the business and the business of Flores. I mean, I, I, when I did the TV show, the, our very first episode was about a lady who had a florist shop in Cronulla. And, um, I thought to myself, this is a hard business. You got it. You just said. I, I so I got up with got up in the morning, four a.m. I was out at the uh, markets where she was buying her flowers from all the various flower vendors. Um, she was pushing the trolley herself. 
um, out to her car to load her van up full of the flowers for maybe the week, I presume, I think it was for the week, took the flowers to the shop, unloaded all the flowers, had to set them up in arrangements, uh, spent the whole day, you know, trying to arrange it so she could sell flowers. And at the end of the day, she did the deliveries. Whoever wanted the delivery, she did because she couldn't afford a delivery agent. And then after that, she started doing invoices and paying invoices. And then she never got to see, she was married with kids. She never got to see kids. And this was like six days a week. And I thought, unless she does something, which is sort of along the lines of what you're doing now, I actually went and got a, took her out to see Jack Singleton from Rose Only or from that group. Yep. And I said, look, why don't you, I said, I, de- I tell you what, I'll get Jack to give you a job and you'll get paid a wage and you never have to worry about rent again and you only have to start at eight in the morning and you finish, he, he had a warehouse type thing in Waterloo area and you go home at three. You can pick your kid up from school, drop your kid to school. You're going to earn the same amount of money. Yeah, possibly more. <laughs> maybe more uh, on a weekly basis. None of this business getting up at four o'clock in the morning trying to find a parking spot, let alone because she, she didn't have a parking place at Flemington. Yeah. And you don't have to tr- push your own trolley around um, and you probably have a better life. you got that choice or um, I'll fit out your shop, refit your shop for you and you can run, run the business. But she chose the second one. She chose to continue in the business. I could never understand. I actually couldn't understand in a, from a practical point of view why someone would do that. Why did you do? Why did you buy this business? I mean, because that was the same sort of Poho was the same sort yeah. of business then. In essence, yes. Like I it mean, was better, better, better quality. Probably made yeah. a bit of money, etc. But why? Why? What was your thinking? What did you think? You could, did you think yeah. I can make this better? Yes. Yeah. I think I looked at it and I I saw how far it had come in the time that it had. I think it was at a point where, and and the the um, gentleman that I bought it off, he was very much at that point of. I, I physically can't do this. Can't anymore. do it anymore. It's um, a killer. It is. And you look, I still work, you know, very long days. Are they disproportionate to any other kind of small, medium business owner? Probably not. Um, but they are early starts and late finishes. But it's not for the faint hearted. And there are there are plenty of people in the industry who are really kind of you can see physically struggle or get to a point where they're like exhausted. I can't, I can't, I can't physically, mentally yeah. exhausted. Yeah. I mean, so what, what parts of the business do you still participate in? So, I mean, if I could tell me if I'm wrong, but if I could just chunk it out, how, how those businesses run, I just the normal business. I'm not yep. talking about what you're, you're currently doing because I want to talk about what you have adapted the business to in the next half of this podcast when we, after the break, but what part of the, the old business that you bought, do you still get involved in? And if I could chunk it out, the chunks seem to me, is buying flowers at Flemington or wherever you're buying from. Yep. Um, then bringing back to the shop, setting them up. You've got to set the things. You've got to display. It's got to be nice. Um, then it's the sales program during the day, selling, assisting customers. And then there's the delivery part in the afternoon. And then there's, uh, you know, probably all the accounting stuff, you know, admin after yep. that. That's a long day. Do you participate in any of those things today? So I do. Um, we go to market three times a week. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So I normally do at least two of those. Right. So normally Monday and Friday because they're our, our biggest and kind of the most important markers just because of where they're positioned in the week. I, do, I don't I do do any of the retail side of things. So I'm not physically in, in the, the shop. shop actively selling in a retail environment. Have you done that? I have. Back in the day, that was how I learnt, you know, what I needed to know about the retail operation, about the product, about our customer, what our customer expected. Because if you don't know that... You don't know what to buy. Exactly. And then I now, um, I do I do all the books myself. Purely, A, I quite weirdly quite enjoy it, but it's also how I've always kind of kept my finger on the pulse in terms of understanding, you know, particularly because I've been quite aggressive with our growth strategy of what's coming in, what's going out, is it working, where do we need to tweak, what do we need to change? And then I do a lot of customer-faced, not active selling, but meeting with new corporate. Um, customers tendering for jobs. I do, you know, a lot of our big kind of um, high-end corporate customers I'll help with, in, you know, on-site installations, weddings, et cetera. But I think I also do a lot of that, A, because I just, I enjoy it. Do I need to be there? Maybe not. But I mean, it is, I think a lot of people in our size business still like to see the business owner's face. proprietor. Yeah. And it is, it's important. And I think it's one of the things that I've, not struggled with, but kind of regularly think about in terms of if we continue to scale, 
where does that line, you know, where does that line? How do you line scale s- yourself? How do you scale yourself? How do I still be present for my team, present for my customer, but also be doing what I need to do in order to actually grow that? So you're, you're still hands-on. I, we're going to go to the break and talk to our sponsor. I'm going to come back because I want to talk to you about uh, what happened during COVID or what was your response during the COVID period. Uh, but I also want to talk to you about what do you think people get out of flowers? Yeah. back here. I'm here with Ed. Ed owns a business. We bought a business, which we established called Poho, which is a florist in Potts Point, but it's a lot more than that. Um, and we, t- I talked to Ed about, you know, how he bought the business originally. And, and the question now comes down to how do you... Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Scale these businesses. But probably before I get to that, I want to ask Ed, he's only a young, young bloke, um, he's 33, but he's pretty mature. Could you explain to me why people buy flowers? I mean, have you got to the bottom of that? I mean, what is it in your mind? What's what's? I think why? there's look. There's there's probably three three people, three customers in in real terms. There's your event or your corporate customer. So it's adding value perception in their mind to an event, creating a scene, an environment, whatever. Whether that's a wedding or a corporate product launch. There's, but what, what, why do they think flowers are important? Though? What, what does the flower bring to the Well, launch? a bride looks at it and says it creates a mood, an atmosphere. It represents an occasion. It adds some sense of kind of style, presence, personality. Yep. Um, your corporate customer, often there's an expectation. So if someone walks into a skyscraper in the city that they expect that, whether that's the customer, the employee, CEO walking in that there's flowers create some sort of impression of we're here, we're in business, um, we care enough about our environment that we want to make it something, you know, that creates some sort of experience. It also sort of indicates abundance too. Exactly. Um, And then there's the customer that, which which is still a huge part of our business, there's the customer that walks into our store that um, they potentially live on their own or with a partner, they're buying flowers for home. Often no one other than them and or their partner are going to see those flowers. For them, it's it's a luxury. It's an indulgent item. It's something that they kind of use to decorate a space, again, kind of create an atmosphere, some sort of sense of joy. I think there's something that people still really enjoy about in terms of like looking at a flower from the moment you buy it to the moment it inevitably dies and that kind of change. There's um, the element of seasonality I think is really you know, we get a lot of people calling a lot of direct messages on social media. Um, is this in season yet? Have you got this yet? And it's again, people are like, you know, there's a particular emotion, memory, sensory thing that's attached to it. Um, and then a big part of our business is obviously gifting. So people creating a, a moment, in, you know, or celebrating a moment in time through, um, through gifting, whether that be through our online store, phone orders, coming in store, buying something, taking it home. And often that's people on a whim stopping by on the way home from the train station. They know their partner has had a tough day celebrating something. They kind of come in. They might have been trying to make up. They're in trouble. <laughs> um, there's a lot of that. Um, and do they openly admit it? Do people say, look, I'm um, fucked up. I've got to get some roses. Yeah, look, I've got a couple of WhatsApp chats I could show you with a few of our customers and you just, you know, when that message comes through that, you know, and it's like the reply is not how much do you want to spend? It's how much trouble are you in? And yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll tailor a solution for you. But yeah, I think there's something about, you know, we, we notice on social media, a lot of, in particular, women will tag their, their partner or their husband in pictures as a subtle hint, you know, birthdays in three weeks, just saying, you know, so there's. I think that side of gifting and that kind of a very emotional side, which you know, there's no other day that you see it play out on more than Valentine's Day. Um, mm. It's people wanting to create an impression, wanting to kind of celebrate, you know, an occasion. 
And I think I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that Valentine's Day next year falls on a Sunday. So for that, us, uh, we'd probably be down maybe 30% on last year, purely because people won't be able to send flowers to an office. Because if someone else isn't experiencing in that with that person and kind of seeing that, okay, this person is telling yeah, me that yeah. they love me, that they, you know, appreciate me, yeah. it's kind of a wasted it opportunity. It didn't happen unless someone else saw it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that kind of defines a certain customer. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's, yeah, that would be kind of the third um, person. In so, and do you map out your year um, on events? Do, do you sort of sit down and work out, you say, well, look, here, this is the year we've got Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, Father's Day, um, maybe Anzac Day, um, Christmas, Easter. Do you sort of map your year out? Yeah. So we look at, we'll look ahead at our year in terms of like key dates, um, all of those, and then things like um, Jewish celebrations, Chinese New Year is really big for us now. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Flowers um, are an important part of Chinese New flowers Year. Flowers are important. And um, that, I mean, that Asian and particularly Chinese presence in that market has grown a lot over the last couple of years. I think they're obviously big consumers, but they also kind of, you know, the way we present our product and our branding, everything from kind of the that side of things appeals to that market. So it's, what you're saying is, what you're saying is, though it's important when the bunch of flowers arrives nicely wrapped, it's got a Poho sign on it. Yeah. You, you put a sticker on that says Poho. Yeah. And, and the, it's a bit like buying a, a cool bag or something. Exactly. Um, it's, that's, oh, wow, you spent some money. Yeah. But you, or you've, yeah, you, yeah, you've got value. And we have a, like our, our paper is, is modeled on the color of the tiles at the front of our building. So it's a sort of really powdery blue, which people now is kind of synonymous with the brand. So people kind of celebrate that and recognize that. The and, Tiffany's sort of deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. it. You know, we're, we're, that's what we're working towards that kind yeah, of brand. Yeah. Recognition. One day. <laughs> One day. <laughs> but I mean, that's, so, so you this is very purposeful. I mean, what you're being is very purposeful about your business and, and, I'm going to talk about the brand in a second. But before I talk about the brand, I want to ask you what happened when, whatever the date was in mid-March, when sort of everything got locked down, shut down. I mean, and by the way, Potts Point being the most densely populated, one of the most densely populated places in Australia, based on what you said earlier, and there was, it was a hotspot. Yeah. Potts Point for a period of time there. On two occasions, Potts Point was. Um what effect did it have on you guys? Um, well, on me personally, that first sort of week, I, I genuinely thought we were probably, I think my, my fight or flight was like, no, we're, we're done. This, yeah. this, Toilet. this is going to break us. Yep. Um, mostly because of our payroll. I think I just, you know, we, at that particular point employed 18 people, all of whom, but one were full time. So that was my first thought. And obviously then fielding questions from employees, from stakeholders, kind of, you know, what are you going to do? What's mm. going to happen? And then initially it was like just sitting in front of a computer watching emails come through from all of our event customers, all of our corporate customers. Cancel, 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 yeah. cancel. Put a hold, postpone. Can we get refunds? What's your What's your plan? And it was like, well, we don't have a plan. Mm. Um so yeah, it was somewhat terrifying. And then I think I kind of took a step back and thought, okay, well, you know, in real terms, what does this look like? How do we navigate this? Um, so my, my, my first thing was to sit down with um, like our kind of internal management team and say, this is a short-term plan in terms of how we're going to manage costs, how we're going to manage what we're doing. This is pre-JobKeeper? This is before any announcement kind of had been made. So this yep. was literally kind of straight off the bat. And then... Yeah, it was, look, it's going to change daily. We don't know what's going to happen. I think in my mind probably, which I thought, look, this is a, we're going to probably get locked down for maybe two, three weeks and then we'll be, you know, you know, and I thought I can ride out maybe eight weeks without too much stress. Um, but yeah, I thought, you know, six, eight weeks from now, we'll all be back on planes. We'll all be traveling. They will have sorted it out. It mightn't have even made it to Australia, et cetera, et cetera. So, and then that obviously changed and evolved. And I think once I kind of, the stress surpassed and I kind of started to look at it, I, my initial thought was, okay, well, how do we position ourselves? How do we leverage what we have that's unique to us? Do you remember what it was that gave you the fortitude or strength of mind to sort of say, well, okay, stop panicking. We have some particular unique aspects of our business that allow will allow us to take advantage or 
pivot, yep. as, they, as the word being used now. Do you remember that point in time? Um, you know, did you get excited by the prospect of it, and did that yeah, excitement the, help you overcome the, the the down feeling? There was definitely. I think. Look, the first week for us was that kind of first week. Whenever it was in March, was incredibly tough. Just because I think there was so much uncertainty. So, whoever you were, everyone put everything on hold. Everyone just said, "Stop! I'm not spending money until I know what this this looks like." So that was kind of the most stressful point. I think after that week, we, I kind of said, okay, well, our business is basically made up of four separate businesses in essence. We've got our physical retail, our online retail, our corporates and our events and weddings. Events, weddings, corporates had fallen off the yep. cliff, so which left us in dollar terms with probably like roughly 50% of our business is still a viable kind of opportunity. I mean, that, that, that part of the business though is walk-ins? Walk-ins and online, and, and online sales. Yeah, right. Um, and after that first week, we noticed that our, on, our physical retail was at, had actually kind of, you know, picked back up to sort of where it had been um, and potentially like a little bit of growth on what we would normally do. Um, people were indulging themselves a bit. They were. And everyone was, you know, and it, you know um, our immediate market in Potts Point is mostly office workers, hospitality workers, top of town kind of people. So they'd all been told stay at home, work from home. They were bored. They were still had a job, wanted to spend money. Was that's what people do when they get mm. bored. Well, they were you know we drink booze, eat yep. chocolate, and buy flowers. Yeah. So that and that's what they were doing. So we were noticing people were walking in purely from the conversations they were having with you know me and staff members. Was you know I'm at home, I want something for home. Mm. So our average sale was maybe slightly less, but we were doing volume in terms of people saying I just want an eighty dollar bunch to go on the kitchen bench, or mm. you know my friend Sally's looks like she might lose her job. I'd really like to send her something. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So, did you, did you play on that then? Did you, when I say play on it, I don't mean that in a sinister way. But did you uh, did you promote that? We look. We reached out to our particularly like our social following um, and just said, "This is you know we're here. We're going to be here. We want to we want to be here when this is over. Um, we need you to come now more than ever." Um, we did run kind of sort of social promotions to try and drive online sales and things like that. Did you say, here's a photo of Sally enjoying her power flowers? No, we did. Like, I mean, there was, uh, we did a post, which was, you know, basically a video of me talking about where we were at, what we, what we needed as a business, how people could support us. And I think, you know, we also, there was a lot of kind of within the industry, people, whether it was our growers, other suppliers, customers, people were reaching out saying, what can we do? So even like some of the top end of town said, don't worry about sending the flowers because we're not in the office, but we'll keep paying the bill. Or we're going to pivot and rather than getting the weekly arrangement, because all of our staff at home, we're going to send them one person a week an arrangement at home. So there was kind of, I think, a lot of people wanting to support in a way that they could. Um, And then, yeah, we noticed, I noticed kind of a a bit of a, an, an, a pickup in our online presence. So we totally reshot our online offering, changed a lot of our online products, repositioned ourselves in that way just to give everyone something, you know, we'd, what we'd had on there had maybe been there for 18 months. So it was a bit stale. A little bit stale. It was kind of due for a refresh anyway. And it was probably maybe our online offering was not totally representative of what we were doing creatively, I think we'd, we'd stepped beyond it. So, so what did, you, did you take people through the creative process? Did you sort of show us putting a bunch of flowers together? Or yeah, so we did. Um, stories? We did a lot more stories. We did, um, we've now got someone in-house that does like all of our um, social, so kind of pushing more things out in terms of, you know, this is what we're doing at the moment. We heavily promoted the new um, online store. What's the online store? Uh, just uh, um, poho.com.au. Okay, because I, I, th- I read somewhere that you uh, had a, 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 another brand as well. Yes, so we then, we, in the midst of the pandemic, we launched that as well, which is Eden, E-D-A-N, um, which is a different kind of geared at a slightly younger market, um, and we've had a really, um, really good response to that. So we kind of, I saw it as an opportunity to leverage the workforce that we had. We had, um, you know, back in kind of, March through May, we had time. So we focused on kind of really elevating our presence, spending more time shooting content, showcasing what it was that we could do. The other big thing that I've noticed is a lot of people, whether they're 
corporate customers, event customers, they've had time to reassess who their um, suppliers are, how they want to do business. So we've we've picked up a lot of new business moving forward of people saying, well, we actually haven't been happy with the provider we've had for the last however long. We want to look at some new suppliers. What can you do for how, us? How do, how do they, do they come to you or did you go to them? I mean, um, how do they know about you? Most of them have approached us and most of it is through a presence through social media or their, their existing customers. So they've received a gift from us, they've received flowers from someone or they've come in store. And then there's been a bit of business that we've kind of actively gone after, but a lot of it has has been organic. I think our saving grace, looking at the industry as a whole, our saving grace was the fact that we did have different facets to the business and we weren't solely reliant on events or weddings or solely reliant on retail. Um, and yeah, I would honestly say we're now in a better position than, than you were. we've ever been in terms of our setup, our kind of readiness to kind of take on the next set of challenges to grow from here. Um, yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting year. Would you would you say that um would it be fair to say that um whatever the business was pre COVID you had, that still exists and then during the COVID period you've created a new business, new 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 business lines, which you now have. So as a result of COVID you have the old business plus you have a new business. Yeah, definitely. So which means you you know, assuming there was let's say it was fifty percent revenue from both, you now got a business double the size. Yeah. And, and, and so COVID was, in some respects, was forced you to do something that you probably would never have done before in the past. Totally. And I think COVID was, which I kind of got to a point where I was like, look, this is happening one way or the other. We need to surrender to it or we can, you know, take it by the, the reins and try and ride it the way we want to ride it. That I looked at it and said, how do we, how do we use this opportunity? Because also I was in a position where ordinarily day to day, I was dealing with a lot of customers, dealing with things. I, there was a period where I didn't have a lot to actually physically do. So I was like, this is an opportunity for me to really assess that existing business that we have, what's right with it, what's wrong with it, what can we do better, what can we improve of, on, what can we change. Where are more opportunities too. Exactly. Because that's interesting because pre-COVID, you'd have been so busy doing all the shit you normally do. You would yep. never, you would never have taken a step back and had a look at where the opportunities are and what else can I do and what can I do better. Yeah, and I found myself often because people would say to me, "Oh, have you thought about this?" And I, my response was often, I, "I actually don't have time." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, give me a month, give me two yeah. weeks. You know, it's on, it's on my to do list. It's on my kind of forward planner, but I, I don't have time. Like, we're so busy doing what we're doing, I can't actually think about what future poho looks like. And I think that that's been the biggest thing is kind of having that time to assess, reassess, plan, what does, you know, what does growth look like? How does that work for us? It's interesting. It's a, it's a really classic example of working on the business and not working in the business. You're first forced to work on the business as opposed to working in the business. And yeah. You're first to think about what the hell, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go from here? I mean, we all went through a period of like tough period of, of reflection and thinking, well, we're stuffed. But then ones who survived, generally speaking, I think have come out better. Yeah. Um, there, there's unfortunately a lot of casualties. There will be a lot of casualties and there are. Um, but those who have survived are, are largely have come out a lot better. I think those that have survived have come out a lot better. I also think, look, it's you never want to see anyone fail. But I think there are a lot of businesses that were quite clearly going to fail anyway. Going to fail or on that precipice or they yeah. were totally reliant. They were living on cash flow they didn't really have a plan or a business model. And I think often it is, it's that owner operator syndrome of, I actually haven't got time or I don't want to step back because I'm too scared to step back and look yeah. at what it actually looks like. Yeah. And, you know, in a, in a, in a weird way, I think it's, look, we're lucky that we've survived. We've grown, we've kind of managed to pivot, but I think it's, it's definitely, yeah, it's been a unique set of circumstances that I think if people were in the position to, take advantage of and to, to really look at how they do what they do. It's kind of, yeah, it's presented a very unique opportunity. So what's Poho do from here? I mean, um, what are your plans? What, 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 <laughs> I mean, like maybe dreams. Let's talk about dreams. Um, look, dreams, pipeline stuff. I, um, I'd love to have another store. Um, I'd love to have a um, second location. We've successfully in the, in, during COVID, we've won um, two big tenders which will really change our corporate presence and what we can 
we can do. Um, so I think that's kind of, you know, a big part of us heading forward. I think the most difficult thing or the kind of the bit I'm kind of really working on at the moment is what my role is moving forward. Where do I need to be? What, where does my attention need to kind of sit and taking that sort of looking at kind of taking that step back from very much like a day-to-day operational role to being more of a kind of strategic, strategic, managing the, the relationships, working on new business, new opportunities. Yeah. It's, it's an exciting time. And, and uh, I mean, I'm going to get wound off a time, but what one question would you, do you want to ask me? Because I'm going to ask all the questions here. Have you got a um, question for well, me? we sort of touched on it already, but I think when I was thinking about it, my biggest thing, you know, and purely, I guess, from your history and business as well, was centered around scaling a business. And I guess any advice you had on scaling a business, but also, I mean, one of my concerns is through scaling, losing that integrity and that kind of business identity and any advice I guess you had around safeguarding that? Well, I, I think scaling business depends on two things. It depends on what type of product you've got. Businesses that I've been able to scale where we are selling a commodity, you're not selling a commodity um, unless you can sell experience, a, a, an experiential event as a commodity. Um, you know, like flowers are very, very important. They're a gift. They're either saying sorry or say congratulations or saying something. I sell money. There's no design of dollars. Dollars a dollar. You know, it doesn't really matter. So I can scale that pretty easily without too much risk. Yeah. Your business, scaling your business, is about uh, managing the risk of not delivering the experience that your product stands for. And your product stands for, you said earlier, a number of things. I mean, it, it can be a whole lot of things. But you, you run the risk of if you scale too fast, too hard, um, that you no longer can manage the risk of not delivering what it is you're supposed to delivering and then you just become an also ran yep. and you stuff up your brand completely. Yep. So your brand is about experience. So my my advice to you in that regard would be um, one way of scaling up quickly is go and buy a whole lot of other brands. I mean, that's, but that, that in itself has a lot of that, – that's a hard thing to manage, like extremely hard to manage um, and it needs you to replicate yourself in a number of positions strategically. Um, that is a hard thing to do. Um, I wouldn't suggest that like, cause I've gone, cause brand integration is a very difficult thing. I've gone through it and it's uh, and a couple of times and it's, it's nearly disastrous. I think organic growth is best. So the organic growth of Poho is a, is a good way to go, but that requires patience and there's no speedy way to do it when you, when your product is not like money where when your product is about an experience, you have to just build it slowly. You know, you're only 33. So you've got time to build it. So build it to a, a scale. I'm not saying you're going to be the largest in Australia, but a scale that delivers you a profit, which you're happy with. Yep. But at the same time, you said it right at the beginning, doesn't compromise the ethic associated with what it is you're doing. Um, so I wouldn't look at acquisitions personally. I don't, I don't believe in that. Um, because you're buying someone else's stuff. Um, I wouldn't try to scale my business too quickly, particularly at the moment anyway, but I wouldn't try and scale my business too quickly in terms of organics. I know you can. You can go and buy Google ads, you can go and buy Instagram targeting, you can go and buy Facebook targeting, you can do all that sort of stuff and you can go really hard on it, spend quite a bit of money and it, it'll it'll yield outcomes. You'll get people coming to you left, right and centre. But the question will be, can you meet the demand for what it is you sell? And I, my gut feeling is, that is extraordinarily difficult when it comes to what you do, even though people say, oh, he's only selling flowers. No, you're not. Yep. It's the wrapping. It's the, the quality of the product, the supply of the product. It's the beauty, the, you know, how, how well and it's training put together. And training staff. And getting people yeah. who can do all those things yep. and getting people you can rely on. And you're one person. You can't be sitting in all locations with every single person making sure that everything goes out, goes out perfectly. That's just not going to happen at the moment. You can do it over time. So – for me, I'm only talking about your industry because I don't, and I don't know your industry. But for me, um, you know, I, money was different. Money is a commodity. There's no money dollars, as I said. But you, you're selling a money product. You're selling poho product. That's what you're selling all the time, poho product. So I would say, slowly but surely, organically building the poho brand over time. But don't go too hard, too fast. That doesn't mean. It's don't take opportunities, but don't go too hard, too fast. Because yeah. my gut feeling is the risk associated with that is that you you just need one big customer 
to start to tell everybody that yep. brand shit or that product shit or it didn't arrive on time, it was too expensive or it was rubbish or it all died in the vase or it wasn't beautifully wrapped like I expected yep. it to be, etc. Or you rented three too many shops and, you know, the rent catches up to you pretty quickly if you, if you don't sort of, if that particular location doesn't work out. Um, so that's what I would do. And you, you know what's great about is Ed, you're only 33. You know, there's no rush. Yeah. I have to remind, you're only remind 33. myself. There's no thing. rush. Yeah. You'll be doing this when you're 63, mate. Like, I mean, I'm not saying, you I, you know, I expect you'd be doing it, but you can still be doing this if you love it when you're 63. Mm-hmm. You're going to have 30 years of this and or other things, but still, that's your worst Some position. Yeah. That's your worst position. 30 years doing what you're doing now, flowers and, and making people's lives better. That's what flowers do. They make us happy. And COVID has proven that in a really elevated sense. Yeah. COVID has shown you exactly why people give or buy flowers for themselves. And you know exactly why people want them. Indulgence, make yourself feel good, whatever the emotional reason is. But you now know at 33 what some people take a lifetime to work out. So hopefully that answers your question. No, it does. It's really good advice. Really nice to meet you. That's great. Poho. I like flowers from Poho. I didn't realize it was your business. Um, I bought flowers from there. It's a great brand. Get on it. Thank you. Thanks for the time. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.